while I believe that the worst of the new sequel Star Wars movies, I, I liked a couple of them. I really loved The Force Awakens, but I didn't like The Rise of Skywalker. I thought The Rise of Skywalker was the worst one. But I think it's fair to say maybe the most divisive one, even if not the worst one, was probably Ryan Johnson's uh, The Last Jedi. That was probably the most divisive one. They got a lot of people grumbling back and forth at each other over it. One of the key scenes in that movie was the scene where Luke decides he's going to burn down the tree. He's going to burn down the Jedi stuff. And of course, Master Yoda shows up. I, I, a lot of people who don't even like the movie, Rob, seem to like that scene. It's, it's a nice scene. And I, I want to get a poster of that scene at some point because I think it looks great. Well, Ryan Johnson was just on uh, Twitter. He interacts with people a lot on Twitter where somebody asked him, hey, you ever consider, did you at any time consider putting in Anakin Skywalker into the movie? To which he said something pretty surprising. Uh, somebody asked, did you ever consider Anakin's ghost showing up to speak with Luke and or Ray? And Ryan Johnson said the following briefly uh, for the tree burning scene. But Luke's relationship was with Vader, not really with Anakin. That's actually a pretty good insight. His relationship with his Vader, not really with Anakin, which seemed like it would complicate things more than the moment allowed. Yoda felt like the more impactful teacher at the moment. Rob, for, for a long time, a lot of people have talked about the notion of, you know, uh, Anakin Skywalker maybe showing up in one of the sequel trilogy. A lot of people thought he might show up in the first one, second one, third one, what have you. And there's certainly to be an argument to be made for that. I mean, ultimately, you can say that the original six films of Star Wars were kind of about Anakin Skywalker. But to me, when you really think about it, in the course of all the movies, Luke spent very, very little time physically in the same room with Vader slash Anakin, like extremely little time in the same room with minutes, the guy. Minutes, literally minutes, hour, you know, whereas with Yoda, he spent days with Yoda, depending on who you speak to. And he I, really in the terms of the movies, he had a much better connection, I guess you could say, with Yoda. And to me, the idea of Yoda being the one to show up at the tree burning scene actually to me seems to make more sense. Rob, you hear that Ryan Johnson had contemplated putting Anakin in there. Would that have been a better choice than putting in Yoda? Do you think, you know, I don't think so for that very reason, uh, Luke, uh, aside from confronting his father, you, you know, it, it, Luke saw Vader really on his own terms. He went and sought Vader out. Uh, both in Empire Strikes Back and in Return of the Jedi, really. Um, he knew he had to. And I I don't think, you know, it's different when somebody teaches you, like, like even though Luke went to find Yoda as well, Yoda had to reveal himself to Luke. And Luke didn't know about Yoda, and they actually had a bond. And, and Yoda became a, a teacher and a mentor, whereas... Vader was somebody who came out of left field. I'm your father. Really? <laughs> you know, and, and so so Luke didn't have I mean, there wasn't the same kind of thing. And I have to tell you, you know, you have to ask yourself, John, about force ghosts. Are they just sitting around waiting to interact with the living world? Like, what is the what is the protocol there? Like, is there a do they have condominiums <laughs> in the afterlife in the force? I mean, how does the living force decide to manifest or, or somebody that's now part of the force decide to show up? Like, are you just hanging out overseeing 
all these people that you once knew and loved. And then when they are in their moment of need, you show up and like, let me help you. You know, what do you do? (laughs) And I think that one of the things I've never liked very much, I mean, I, I know when Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up at the end of star Wars, trust your feelings. Well, was that really Obi-Wan or was that Luke remembering something Obi-Wan told him? But then of course, as the movies go on, no, no, it's like actual people show up and they talk, they interact, and it's kind of a weird thing. And I would like to believe that it has something to do with the person. You mm. have a connection and it has it's innate in yourself. And if you conjure up a force ghost, it's because of you, not the ghost deciding to show up right now. You're conjuring up a feeling, a memory. Part of what the force allows you to do is manifest its energy in the form of somebody that's familiar to you. But Star Wars has never been. It's it's basically says, nope, force ghosts are people, too. They're out there. Yeah, I mean, it goes all the way back. When you go into like one of the final in the, the final episodes of Star Wars Clone Wars. And when I say the final ones, I mean, not not counting the Disney Plus seventh season. Right. You know, that's where where Yoda starts to learn about this idea of, you know, life in the force afterwards. And then, of course, in the prequels, he actually talks to Obi-Wan and says training for you. Like I have training for you as you go into your exile in Tatooine and talking about that. So, I, again, bottom line is, guys, I thought it was the right decision. It's really interesting interesting that he thought about putting an Anakin, but I think ultimately it was the right decision to put it in as Yoda. What do you guys think? Do you think it would have made the scene better if it had had it been Anakin? Or do you think he did the right thing keeping a Yoda? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. When you come across a big topic or story that you think should be a main topic here on the show, head on over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Preston Bell. And Preston Bell writes, John, hello, Preston. I know that you are highly certain that the Oscars won't happen this spring. No, no, no. I'm not highly certain. I don't think it will. And I'm highly certain that they shouldn't. I'm not highly certain that they won't. But at any rate, I know you're highly certain that the Oscars won't happen this spring. But Variety has just come out with a report that the ceremonies will be happening in April and none of it will be via Zoom. What do you think of this and how many of this year's actors or actresses will actually show up in person if the ceremony actually takes place? Thanks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, the topic of the Academy Awards this year has been a fairly big one for understandable purposes this year in terms of everything in the world has been just a giant crap storm. But if we specifically are talking about the movie industry, it's been cataclysmic. It's been absolutely cataclysmic for the film industry, um, including a lot of movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 that just never did come out in 2020. <laughs> and some of them won't even come out in 2021. And, you know, a lot, there's a big evolving situation going on there, of course, with streaming and whatnot. And it has begged the question, should the Oscars even happen this year? 
Now, they bumped it off from being in February all the way to April. They changed the qualification deadline from, I believe it's December 31st to sometime in February. So they have a longer qualification window, which was a fairly smart move to do. I People like me still don't even think they should have an Oscars this year. I think they should just roll it over into the next Oscars and just call 2020 you know, a write-off and just move on. Instead of forever in history, we're going to have to look back at the Oscar winners of 2020 and have to put a giant asterisk beside it. It's like eh, only one third of the qualifying movies that would normally come out were out that year. And, you know, why do that? Push it off. But up till this point, the Oscars have insisted that they are going to move ahead and have their show. Now, a lot of people, myself included, just assume that if they do move ahead and do a show, that they will do what the Emmys did pretty successfully, Rob. I got to say, yeah. the way the Emmys actually pulled it off, I was a little pessimistic, but it, they pulled off a good show doing it all completely remotely. And they ended up pulling off a show, and I thought they did a pretty good job. Now the Academy is saying that, nope, they're going to have a live show with people in the audience and have all the nominees there at the Dolby Theater, which is where they traditionally have the damn thing. This is what comes to us from Variety, who writes, The Oscars in-person telecast will happen, a rep from the Academy and ABC tells Variety. That may still create some questions as, as to exactly how many people are even allowed inside the 3,400-seat Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, where the ceremony traditionally takes place. There have been over 13 million confirmed corona cases in the United States, with over 269,000 deaths. According to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center, LA County alone is the leading county in the U.S. for cases at over 400,000 and over 7,600 deaths. That's where they want to hold the Oscars. That's where they want to hold the Oscars. Now, Rob, I want to be careful here because there, there is two different sides to this. On the one side, I would say that, look, I believe that if we all act properly and we all take proper precautions and we all get tested regularly and we all wear our masks and we don't go into crowded places and whatever, I believe that you can still leave the house. If the grocery store you go to is, is responsible and has strict uh, uh, guidelines and strict protocols, then you can feel safe going in there. I've gone to movie theaters twice, Rob twice right. in the past in the past while and both times i felt like they had you know they had really limited the amount of people in there they had very strict guidelines uh they had hand sanitizer before you go on you they wouldn't let you in without a mask you always had to keep your mask on unless you were eating they kept me well seated far away from everybody else and i felt like it was a good experience i'm cool with that so and not to mention we do have vaccines coming now, they're saying we're not going to feel the real impact of the vaccine probably until late summer, which is still great news and I'm very excited about. But we're talking April here. Yep. Rob, yesterday you and I talked about them trying to shoot that She's All That remake and shutting down the Union Station Testing Center. And I made the argument that 
I, I get it. It wasn't as bad as it first seemed because it was only going to be just for one day. It was less than like 3% of the people who were going to get tested. The people who were scheduled to get tested could have gone to other places and had their reservations honored. So it, it tempered it a bit. But at the end of the day, I said, optics matter. Symbolism matters. I don't want to blow out of proportion how much it matters, but it matters. In the midst of of a global pandemic in the city and in the county, one of the most populous in the United States that has some of the highest rates with an entertainment industry that has for the most part joined into the call for people to act responsibly and, you know, take precautions at an event that is completely unnecessary at an event that is completely unnecessary, an in-person, first of all, you shouldn't even have an Oscars this year because of the situation with which movies are even available. And it's just a completely confounding year. But that aside, that aside for a second, if you still want to have an Oscar ceremony and you still want to announce winners and and you want to follow through on that, I may disagree, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And remember, this is coming from a guy that the Oscars, literally, I'm not joking around. The Oscars are my second favorite day of the year. There's Christmas and then there's the Oscars. It's more important to me than my anniversary. Don't don't tell Anne I said that. I'm not saying more important than my wife. I'm just saying more important than my That's how much I look forward to the Oscars. But I am telling you as somebody who is that fanatical about the Oscars that there is simply no need from a point of symbolism and optics to say, we're going to have this big grand event indoors with a lot of elderly people, by the way, who are most at risk of this crap. Saying, no, that Zoom thing, that's for the Emmys. In the midst of all this, when we're having a hard time convincing people to act responsibly, and we're having and we shouldn't have a hard time. This is common fucking sense, people. This shouldn't be a hard concept for people to act with a monochrome of responsibility. And as we're all trying to convince people to act with a monochrome of responsibility, along comes the Academy Awards with their current board of the directors who are the same brainchild who came up with the idea of the best popular movie category, you stupid morons. And saying, yeah, you know what? Not only are we gonna have an Oscars. We're going to have a big indoor thing. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a big indoor thing. Now, again, I I, I, I say, yeah, I've gone into a movie theater. I'm not trying to overblow that. But symbolically, this is just a tone deaf, dumb move. There's no reason you can't do the Oscars. If you must have an Oscars this year, there is simply no reason you cannot uh, emulate what the Emmys did so effectively. There's no reason you can't do that. And I I just think it creates mixed messages. I just think it's bad optics. I think this is a very bad look for the Academy and a very bad look for Hollywood, which is too bad because I know for a fact, I've already been reading it. There are tons of people in Hollywood who are like, what the hell are the Oscars thinking? This is stupid. It's absolutely asinine. They should not do this. Whoever's on the board of the Oscars should be immediately removed for even considering this at this point in time. It's just dumb. Anyway, Rob, that's kind of my thoughts on that. What do you think about this? Well, I mean, if you just look at the headlines, even today, we have more cases of COVID in L.A. 
than ever before. More deaths. Uh, all, uh, that's the same across the country. We do this 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 pandemic. Unfortunately, we were not diligent enough, and it is now exploding. Uh, we are back to, uh, I mean, even we're, we're exceeding where it was in March and what happened in March and April. And the idea that we're planning crowd events, uh, we're not there yet, man. We're, we're everyone's saying it's going to get worse. We haven't done a very good job being adults about this. And until we are, until we've proven like, say for months at a time, we can be normal people and not have restrictions without having all of this explode. I mean, I now personally have lost somebody that I really meant something to me, you know, and that person is no longer here because of COVID. And I, I, I think we need to start taking this very seriously. And the idea that they're planning an Oscar ceremony with people and in the Kodak theater, I think is the height of irresponsibility. Because remember, John, people were planning back in March and April and May that, hey, it's going to get better. And indeed, it was. I but was then, one of them. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and then, of course, you know, we, we had uh, a social upheaval with protests and everything. And everybody just decided, well, you know what? Some things are more important than others. And we're, we're still here. We have, we have been wildly irresponsible as a nation. Uh, for various reasons, which I won't get into, but there is no way that anybody should be planning giant, large events now. It's hugely irresponsible. I the, the part that I am I am most confused of. Again, we've already said I don't even just for the sake of the kind of year it's been. I don't think they should have an Oscars at all, just because of what movies were and weren't available. I agree. But but that aside. Uh, can you think of because the part that I'm really confused about is, all right, you want to have an Oscars, you want to announce it, okay, you want to say we had winners this year, okay, mm. why not? What is what is their problem with the idea of embracing the model that the Emmys did, which is not ideal, but it was done effectively and. They put on a pretty good show. I, I, so, Rob, if you're in that room right now with the Academy board, what do you and somebody brings this up? Why don't we do it this? What do you, what's their objection to doing it that way? Like, I, I just don't understand that right now. Well, I, I think, look, it all comes down to money. I, I Basically, I, I see the biggest problem about what's happened over the last year is we've basically turned off the world. And there is so many people are, are suffering economic hardship. We've lost so many businesses. And the Oscars are a huge money-making enterprise for the Motion Picture Academy. They have a new museum opening that they have spent a monumental amount of money uh, 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 creating. And by the way, I can't wait to see it. I, I'm more excited. I can't wait that they have this museum opening and more power to them. And I understand everybody is a world of hurt economically. But but that said, it is the fact that people – I get the economic hardship. But by not buckling down, we have now extended that economic hardship. There are other countries in the world that haven't had to deal with what we've had to deal with economically. They've done a better job. And I think that that's what it comes down to. It's a, it's a money issue because things are getting desperate everywhere. And I get that. And the difference between the Emmys and the 
motion pictures. We've talked about this before. People have been sitting at home watching streaming shows. I mean, I don't think I don't think the television and, and streamers have had a bigger audience than now. And of course, the Emmy should have gone on because a lot of great programming continued to to flit past our eyebrows or eye, eyeballs. It was amazing. I mean, I, I, it's amazing what we're getting in terms of the the the, the quality of programming. Movies, not so much. Not to put yeah. down anybody who's who's made money or whose films have come out during the last eight months, but we certainly have not exactly been able to receive the Oscar caliber lineup that any other year would provide. And I just think that it does a disservice, not just to the idea of the Academy Awards, but it does a disservice to all those winners in the past and the people that are going to win in the present and in the future by having an Oscar ceremony that is that is not exactly up to par. And what they yeah. want, they want all these people to show up because that's part of the attraction. We all tune in to see who's wearing what dress and who's going to say what when the camera cuts away to a winner in the audience when they laugh or smile and whatever they say. That's all part of the appeal of the Oscars. But you can't put people at risk for that. I agree. Now, look, I, I will say this, though, like from what I'm reading and seeing, the impact of the vaccine won't really be fully effective until late summer. Right. If if and this is a total unlikely hypothetical, but if we get to the beginning of March and like they've been able to distribute the vaccine way faster than they thought they could and they're having even quicker, better results of the vaccine and cases are down like 80 percent, I'll change my tune. I'll change my tune that, hey, in April, if that's the case, if that's the environment we're in in April. Yeah. Okay. And I'll and I'll totally change my tune. But they're right now the information they're getting is saying we're not going to see a real impact of all this stuff until much later. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a deep question. It's so important, guys. I put it to you. I wanted to ask you guys. So I made the topic of today's question of the day. I asked you guys simply. I said, uh, the Academy says that regardless of the pandemic, they're going to have a live audience for the Oscars in April and do it remotely. Is this a good idea? 28% of you guys, or a little over 3,000 of you guys have voted. I put this up just before the show started. Uh, about 3,000 of you have voted. 28% are saying, yes, it is a good idea. 72% of you guys are saying it's a bad idea. There's going to be different points of view on this. Question is, guys. What do you think about this move by the Oscars? I think it's absolutely asinine, almost as bad, probably worse than their whole best popular movie idiocy that they tried to pull off a little while ago. But I don't know. Maybe you have a different point of view. Maybe there are some factors here that we're not considering that you have in mind. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Samuel Pole. And Samuel writes, I was happy that Wonder Woman 84 would premiere on HBO Max so that millions could see it safely uh, as a home theater nerd, though I was slightly bummed because HBO Max didn't support 4K and I wanted to experience this movie in the highest possible quality. Well, Patty Jenkins just announced Wonder Woman 84 will be in full 4K HDR on HBO Max. What are your and Rob's thoughts on this? And do you think we could see something like 4K remasters of classic HBO shows in the future now. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, that's been a big topic of conversation around here lately is the fact that Wonder Woman 84, of course, they announced that they are going to drop it on HBO Max 
and in theaters, although more and more theaters are closing right now. So it's who knows what's going to happen with that on the same day. So December 25th, Wonder Woman 84 is going to hit our screens. The one thing of lamentation we've been hearing from a lot of people is the fact that unlike a couple of the other streaming services, HBO Max does not stream in 4K or HDR, which, you know, it's, it's whatever. Hey, listen, it's still a great image. I, I love the look that we've got. Well, that's not the case anymore. Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 84, was given the privilege of getting on her social media to make the announcement. Patty Jenkins said the following. I'm excited to announce that Wonder Woman 84 will be the first film on HBO Max available in 4K, Ultra HD, HDR 10, Dolby Vision, and Dolby Atmos. That's a lot of little additions there. Can't wait. In theaters on December 25th, not really, but in some, and exclusively streaming in the U.S. on HBO Max. Please find the biggest and highest quality screen you can, and the television manufacturers of the world thanked Patty Jenkins for saying that last part. Find the biggest and highest quality screen that you can. Um, this is, listen, I'll, I'll tell you what, Rob, this is not a big deal to me. This really isn't a big deal to me. Because you know my kind of thing of this. There are, there are technical videos you can look up on YouTube. For in the house, depending on how big your TV is and depending on the distance you sit from your TV, 4K honestly doesn't look that much better than really good HD. Uh, the eye can only perceive so much depending on certain circumstances. But it is right. better in general. It's better. A lot of people, the one complaint they've had about HBO Max is no HD or no uh, 4K, no HDR, which is actually even more important. But now they're saying Wonder Woman 84 will be the first one to stream that way. I think that it's significant. It, it doesn't mean as much to me, but to a lot of other people, this is going to be considered very, very significant. Now, what's really going to be interesting is to see, can they also handle vari variable bitrate delivery in the sense of can their system automatically detect when somebody has, say, 20 megabit download, which is enough. Can they or can they detect when somebody has gigabit download? And then provide, can they do variable streaming rates to say, oh, this person's got like, gig, this this customer's got gigabit, we can deliver even a higher uh, bit rate to them than we do, whatever, that's a side note. To people who are home video enthusiasts like yourself, Rob, this has got to be considered good news. How big of a deal is this? I think it's a big deal as long as we're getting, you know, true 4K and Dolby Vision and all of these things. And the, look... There's a lot of people now because of bandwidth sizes, like we heard Netflix is reducing the actual, the file size of what they're delivering. Because delivering true 4K and Dolby Vision and HDR 10 plus, it takes a lot of bandwidth. And those pipelines, it's taxing to, to everybody. And if suddenly everything were to be full 4K and full HDR, I mean, we saw it in Europe, it chokes off the internet. So I think it's great theoretically and we'll see how i mean look look what happened to um the long night the hbo the game of thrones episode where the night king and they they lay siege to um um the north you know the the the, the big and when you watch that streaming it was so broken up and dark and artifacty you couldn't even see what happens i mean you watch that on blu-ray and that episode's a revelation it's like oh this is what it's supposed to look like you know, and, and it's all there, but with streaming, we're not there yet. 
And, you know, I understand it's exciting, but don't think that that the studios and streaming is going to provide you the same kind of experience being in a movie theater would or even having a physical media disc. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, and I think that's something to keep in mind. And again, I think it's going to vary from person to person, depending what, you know, how big is your TV, what, whatever, what is your internet connection like? But it's going to be interesting to see if HBO says we, go we are going to have a standard cap of this data rate. So that's going to play into it as well. But I think in general, it's a step in the right direction for a lot of people, yes, what is. they're hoping for. So question here is, guys. What do you think about this move that they are going to HBO Max? And as far as the question, Rob, actually, before we move on from it, let's, let's ask that final question that they're asking. Could this signal the fact that HBO Max is going to use Wonder Woman and going to use 4K and HDR and all that kind of stuff? Could this signal that maybe HBO will transfer and recode and do like their library stuff to update it to 4k do you think that's what we're now on the cusp of or do you think this is just kind of one-off thing that they're doing well I, again that is an incredible amount of work yeah. you know uh this week we had the the lord of the rings films drop on 4k with dolby vision hdr 10 there's actually a little featurette that warner brothers released with peter jackson talking about what they did they did an enormous an enormous amount of work on both the Hobbit films and the Lord of the Rings films to get them to be the best they can be for 4K. And people don't quite understand, like remastering Star Trek The Next Generation, they don't understand the enormous amount of time, manpower or female power, women power, people power that goes into this kind of work to make things truly the way they should be. And it is expensive, it is time-consuming, and it is laborious. And while I would love everything to be that way, uh, look no further than Second Sight's release of Dawn of the Dead that came out last week, which is more gorgeous than I could have possibly imagined. It took months, if not years, and it's a, it's a daunting proposition. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this announcement that Wonder Woman 84 will be the first movie to stream on HBO Max in 4K HDR? Big deal? Not a big deal? Could it lay the foundation for what could be upcoming next? What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan Lohner. And Ryan Lohner writes, the newly named Elliot Page, formerly known as Ellen Page, of course, has just revealed himself to be transgendered and great on him. And it raises the question, what does this mean for the Umbrella Academy and the character of Vanya that, that they play? Personally, I think if any show can suddenly say a major character is a different gender now and move on, it's this one. But there are definitely other options. What are your thoughts? Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in. And for those of you who have not heard, now we've, we've all known for a very long time, uh, Canadian, uh, at the time, actress Ellen Page uh, is, is, is gay. And what Ellen Page just recently came out and announced is that they are now Elliot Page, and she identifies as transgender and uses the pronoun he. Now, I'm just going to say right up front, you're going to have to cut me some slack. I've been referring to Ellen Page as she for 
20 years for however long it is so if i accidentally it's going to take me a while to change the pronoun that i use for her or him at this point uh so you just cut me some slack on that it's going to take me a little while that being said it does raise the question then of what happens with vanya Will Elliot Page still play Vanya? Will they say that the Vanya character is now transgendered? What are they going to do with that? Well, apparently, nothing. Nothing is going to change as far as the Umbrella Academy goes. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Elliot Page will continue to play the role of Vanya uh, Hargreaves in the Umbrella Academy, the Netflix series about a family of superheroes that becomes one of the streaming service's biggest hits. I, if you have not watched Umbrella Academy, by the way, you absolutely must. It's amazing. Vanya is a cisgendered woman whose superpower involves unleashing force through the use of sound. There are no plans to change the character's gender insiders told Variety. So as of right now, it appears that the idea is they're just going to continue to have Vanya be Vanya. Nothing's changing with the character and Paige is going to continue to play Vanya. I've seen some discussion and some debate pop up around this already. And, and let me address it with my thoughts here just for a second. You guys know my position about... Um, transgender gay or whatever characters being played by transgender gay or non-gay performers and actors, right? There was that big dust up that happened a while ago when I think it was uh, Scarlett Johansson was going to play a character that was a transgendered character. A lot of people got upset because Scarlett Johansson isn't a transgender individual. To my response to that at the time and still is to this day, and it might change over time, but for now it still is, actors play people that they are not. So I have no problem with that. If I have no problem with that, then I need to be consistent with that and say, yeah, if, if Elliot Page now identifies as a transgendered individual, why should that matter what type of character they play in a fictional piece of drama? It shouldn't, nor does it. It makes no difference. Vanya is a cisgendered female. Okay, Elliot Page is no longer that. It doesn't change that there's still an actor playing somebody that they are not. Because, spoiler alert, even when she was known as Ellen Page, she did not have those superpowers, and yet she played a character that had superpowers. So if you are like me, that you had no problem with the idea of a Scarlett Johansson playing a type of character that she is not in real life, then you need to be consistent with that and say, then we have no problem with Vanya or with Vanya continued to be played by Paige. It shouldn't make a difference. It does make, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever in the world. And the only way it has any type of a difference is if you bring some sort of political agenda into the conversation, which I am completely adverse to in the first place. So to me, it's great. I, I'm, I'm very glad. And, and listen, Rob, I'll admit, the first thing that went through my head, because I don't know Paige, I don't care, but first, I care about Umbrella Academy. So the first thought that went through my head, being a selfish individual, is how does this affect a show that I love? That's the first question that came into my head. And then I read the report saying it's not going to affect the show at all. Deep breath, then everything's good in my world. I'm completely fine. Anyway, Rob, you heard about this. What did you think initially when you heard about the the page story about whether or not this would affect did you think maybe it would have an impact on umbrella academy do you think they're going to be able to move forward now and just have everything stay the same in umbrella academy what's your take on this well first 
you know, I, I think we should all be happy uh, for Elliot Page to finally uh, come into his own and understand who he is as an individual. And we should applaud that. Somebody who's actually self-actualized and understands themselves and is comfortable with that. We should, as a as a as the human race, applaud that because how many of us never quite understand ourselves? And that said, I think it's incredible that uh, Elliot has chosen to do this. But like you said, it should have no effect at all. An actor is an actor. Remember at the Globe Theater when Shakespeare's plays were first performed, men all played the female parts. And I think there's a long tradition. It, it, if you, as an actor, however you identify, if you can play a part and own it and make the audience believe and have an audience love that character, everybody, anybody should be able to play a part. And I think that Elliot Page has done a great job uh, creating the character of Vanya. And I think he will continue to go on and do that. So it shouldn't be even an issue. All I want to know is when does three, season three drop, dude? Because I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, what was it? The Sparrow Academy? Was that the twist at the yes. end? The, the Sparrow yes. Academy? Listen, I, like, I keep telling people there are three shows on the air that I just I just like gush over as far as the comic book material goes. And it's all non-traditional. It's Doom Patrol. It's Umbrella Academy. And it's The Boys. And I just love these three shows. My, my life right now is a revolving countdown clock to when does the next one come out. And uh, I'm all excited about it. And so, uh, yeah, there it is. Question is, guys, how are you feeling about the fact that, whew, don't worry, this is not going to impact Umbrella Academy. It's not going to affect. They're not going to change the characters or any kind of stuff. Maybe you think they should change the character based on what's going on in Paige's real life. I personally don't think they should, but whatever. What are your thoughts? Jump down into the comment section below and leave me your thoughts. All right, guys. With all of that stuff down and out of the way, we're now going to move on and start taking your live questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to send in a live question to be read on the show, simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video, or you can enter it in manually at streamlements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. With that down, let's get into it here, guys. First up, we've got Dwayne Jackson who writes, Hello, John and family. I was wondering if Black Widow does go to Disney Plus, uh, do you think that Venom 2 and Morbius will follow Black Widow since Disney Plus has stated they are committed to streaming experience? Well, you got to remember, Dwayne, and it's easy to get these things confused. Um, Disney doesn't get to decide where Venom 2 or Morbius goes. Disney has no say in that. Sony is the distributor of Venom 2 and Morbius. The distributor decides where movies go. They decide what their theatrical release strategy is. And when it's time to put it into home video, they decide where it goes. So it is possible that, say, a Venom 2 or Morbius goes straight to a streaming service. But if it did, it doesn't. It's not automatically going to to uh, to Disney. Rob, what's what's your take on this? What do you think is going to happen with Morbius and uh, and Venom Two? Do you think? Well, again, you know, when you have these movies, the first one makes eight hundred million plus. That's a tough nut, man, to to put something out on streaming when they've expected to bring in a billion dollars. Uh, I think it's really going to depend. All of this, we had Tenant. Now we're going to see what happens with Wonder Woman. And I think what happens with Wonder Woman is going to be very defining as far as the future is concerned. Um, 
I don't think they want to put Venom or Mo- Morbius on a streaming service. Uh, it might be a necessity, but especially with a, a vaccine on the horizon, can they hold out? Maybe we'll see. But I, uh, unless unless HBO Max shows us shows the world something great, I think people are going to hold off. There's another important element here to keep in mind too. Unlike Warner Brothers with HBO, that is their streaming service. Unlike Disney with Disney Plus, that is their streaming service, where there are some auxiliary benefits of them putting it to HBO. They benefit by putting, like, say, Wonder Woman 84 on HBO. They they hope to get more. Sony doesn't have its own exclusive streaming service. They right. don't get such benefits. So, yeah, I, I still think that, look, I think the long term, the future of the theatrical experience is in trouble right now. But I but I agree with you. I think I think Venom 2 and Morbius, they go theatrical. I think they do go theatrical, so we'll have to see how that works out. All right. Next up, we've got uh, T3 Medias who writes, Well, John, the results are, after combing through all of the John Campia show episodes on YouTube, only one of them is a perfect two hours, zero seconds long. This has been another useless fact. It's tough, man, trying to nail that exact two hours. I'm actually surprised there's even one episode, T3, where everything actually came in specifically and perfectly at two hours. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, T3 also writes, uh, top five things that make me smile when uh, thinking of stuff associated with John Campion on YouTube. Five, the do-do-do-do-do sound that you make when you're Googling. Uh, Yep. Uh, Ashley Mova's shoulder shake outros. Uh, Three, season one of Arrow uh, two, killer Ewoks. I love the Ewoks. F you. I love the Ewoks. Uh, And number one, schnep stories. Well, yeah, thanks. I I do enjoy all those things. All those things are things that I enjoy, man. Thanks for throwing that in. All right. T3 also writes, uh, thinking of the quote, everyone is the hero of their own story. Got me thinking of why Throne, uh, Thrawn is different from the book to Rebels. In Rebels, it's from the third party point of view. But in the books, Thrawn narrates could be a bit of a reason. Maybe just maybe actually Thrawn does not narrate the uh, the Thrawn books. We will hear in in the books, you hear Thrawn's inner monologue and you do. There are things, but he is not the narrator of the book. He's not Thrawn himself is not the narrator of the story. Uh, a, a it's a third party. It's a third person, if you will, narration again uh, with uh, the author being the narrator. So it actually doesn't do that. You do hear Thrawn's inner thoughts throughout the the story, but he's not actually the one narrating it. Uh, but it's a it's a good it's a good observation, though. All right. L.A. B. writes. Is Return of the Jedi your favorite movie you've ever seen and or the best movie you've ever seen? Because I always wondered if there is a movie to you that you'd consider to be better than uh, Return of the Jedi. Thanks. I don't see. This is a funny thing with me, Rob. I don't really have a I don't have a movie I consider to be the best movie of all time. I I just don't. And that is the beauty of the subjectivity of it all. Like I consider the Star Wars movies to be my favorite movies of all time. Return of the Jedi is my favorite of the Star Wars movies. But does that mean then in some logical, objective way that then I consider The Return of the Jedi to be the greatest film of all time? No, not necessarily. I, I've never nailed it down to think I think one particular film is the greatest. I have a big collection of films that I think are among the greatest, but I've never nailed it down myself to just saying one film is the greatest film of all time. I and I, I don't really do that. Do you? Do you have like, have you, do you have a definitive, this is my favorite? favorite movie of all time period do you have one of those uh well i have sort of a rotating top five but again 
those that rotating top five is 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 mine. You know, everybody's going to be different. The things that I've liked growing up in my life, whatever makes up me as a, a an individual, as a unique human being, all of that plays into what stories appeal to me and and why do I find something like this amazing and and how come I can watch these things over and over again. And I'm sure there's people that find my favorite movies to be a bore. You know, just off the cuff, I mean, I'll tell you that The Godfather 1 and 2 are up in my top five. Uh, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz is in my top five. Probably Joseph Makowitz's All About Eve is in my top five. And these are movies that I can watch over and over and over again. A lot of people would go, isn't All About Eve in black and white? I'm not going to watch it. You know, and and that means that they're never going to understand the joy that I get watching those movies. And I think that's true of everyone. Now, I do think that there is probably an objective list. If you go to the AFI top 100 list of movies, whether you agree with their order or not, history has shown that there is certain films that have transcended the time in which they were made and also have delighted audiences generation after generation. I mean, I would put in the category like that something like Lawrence of Arabia. You know, that's a film, and people talk about Citizen Kane being one of the great movies ever made and all that. I mean, there there are movies, Casablanca. I don't think anybody that has a brain cannot watch Casablanca and be swept up in its story, uh, even though there's some people that will reject it outright because it's in black and white. The Wizard of Oz. You know, there there are movies that I think are objectively belong in the pantheon of great cinema because they work year after year, decade after decade. But again, everyone else's opinions of movies is subjective, so their mileage may vary. All right, let's move on. Next one. And I just, you know, I disagree with you on that, but uh, I'll give you the final word on it. Next one up. Uh, Elliot B. writes, uh, idea for a sci-fi movie concept I haven't seen. A space epic told in one continuous shot where the movie is told as if the camera is floating around in space with the actor. Your thoughts? Uh, nah, I, 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 don't, I don't like the idea. It sounds kind of boring to me, to be honest. Anyway, P.S., please do an editorial on fair use. It would be amazing. Uh, I, I got to be careful about what I do editorials on because it literally, it takes days with very little bang for your buck. Uh, to do like really involved things like making that um, making that Man of Steel, like why Man of Steel is the most underrated film of all time. That 20 minute long editorial I did that literally took me and Jonathan Voiko like a week to make that like between writing it, scripting it, then shooting it, editing it, then giving it to Jonathan to do all the graphical elements and stuff like it literally took two guys like a week to put that editorial together. And we don't really get a lot for for doing that <laughs> like there's really not a lot of reward for doing something that involves or this that um rob the idea of the, the the one continuous shot there's a novelty to that like i've always been amazed when you get certain movies that have hey this 10 minute sequence is like one continuous shot or you remember that one episode of true detective where they had like the one continuous shot for the, there's something there's novelty to that I think there's some Russian film that also did like one big long. The whole movie was like one continuous shot. Right. Russian art. That was one continuous shot. But as a premise to build your movie around, I don't know. I I, I don't. I mean, it all depends on everything. Like take a movie like Ryan Reynolds's uh, Buried, where the entire movie from start to finish, without exception, the entire movie 
is in a box. Ryan Reynolds in a box, six feet underground. That's the whole movie. Mm. As a concept, there's not a lot there as a concept, but they they wrote it and did in such a way that it was brilliant. It's all about the story and the characters and the little novelty things like, do you do it as one continuous shot? That won't make the movie any better or any worse, in my opinion. It's just a neat novelty. It's all about the story that you ask. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? Well, I think that that the idea of a one continuous shot has to serve the film. And I think when you think about the great single shots like the beginning of Absolute Beginners or the shot in Goodfellas, the use of a one continuous shot creates something in the audience that that one continuous shot's the only thing that could have done that. Like in Absolute Beginners and in Goodfellas, it's both setting up a milieu and it's making you as an audience member feel what it was like to go into the back of the, the the club, you know, in Goodfellas when they when they sit down and and you sort of get the idea of what it's what is it like to be able to go in through the back door and have people whisk you through the kitchen and then you get to sit down, you you go from literally outside on a street into this posh restaurant where all the beautiful people are and suddenly you're being treated like a king. Or an absolute beginners, you know, the 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 London, the hipster London energy and feeling of what it's like to be out at, on the streets at night and all the energy and power and that really works but if you're just doing it for show well then it gets it gets a little it gets a little obtrusive but i think one of the the, the great things about those single shots is they usually have a reason behind them and i find that they tend to work very well in isolated shots. I, actually, one yes. that really stands out to me, Children of Men. Remember that one scene? Oh, the Children of Men? That was really, really effective with Amazing. Clive Owen. And, and it creates that sense of where you're at. I mean, yeah. the, 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 that anything can happen, a bullet can whiz in. You don't know what's going on. I mean, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And if you, you feel that shot, man. You feel it. Make very visceral. All right. Uh, good question, Elliot. Next up, uh, Chris writes, Hey, John, love all that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, I know you've mentioned it before, but what is your top three favorite TV shows? Mine are Avatar, The Last Airbender, Cowboy Bebop, and three, The Twilight Zone. Also, I haven't seen your doc yet, but I'm planning on watching it soon. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm glad you're going to check it out. Yeah. Uh, so my three favorite shows of all time. Number one uh, is the... Uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica, that the, the Ronald D. Moore version of Battlestar Galactica, not the not the uh, you know green one, but the Ronald D. Moore of Battlestar Galactica, uh, that is my all time number one. I believe the best show ever made. I, I think it's the greatest TV show of all time. It's my favorite TV show of all time. My number two and three are in no particular order. They can switch spots, but my number two and three are Spartacus and Sons of Anarchy. So those to me are my three all-time favorite shows. Rob, what about you? If you had to break down your three favorite TV shows, what would you say they are? My number one favorite TV show of all time is, in fact, the original Twilight Zone. Number two is the original Star Trek, and I think number three would be the West Wing, or at least the first four seasons of the West oh, Wing. Oh, West Wing's when, so good. When Aaron Sorkin was writing it all. Love that show. All right, next up, uh, Rogue Mammoth writes, Hey, John and Rob, I just binged both uh, Machete mo both Machete movies for the first time this past weekend. The third installment was supposed to be titled Machete Kills Again in Space. Over under 35%, we get a Danny Trejo cameo in Robert Rodriguez's Mandalorian episode. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. Right. 
Uh, 35, mm, that's a little bit high. I'll go under 35, but I won't be surprised if it does happen. Uh, I mean, I think there'd be a real kick to that for a lot of people. So I, I, I'll still go under 35, but I think there's a solid chance. By the way, to me, both Machete movies were lost opportunities. But anyway, Rob, what do you over under 35 percent? We see uh, Danny Trejo uh, pop probably, up as a cameo. Probably under. But if I could see Danny Trejo as somebody who is a force wielder and probably a member or aspired to be a Sith, bring it on. He was actually he did uh, he had a recurring guest character role in The Flash. He was this like interdimensional bounty hunter dude, which is which is actually was pretty cool. So I think we'll see him. I hope we do at any rate. All right. Lee writes, hey, John and Robert, greetings from Dublin, Ireland. Well, greetings, man, from home of my favorite band, you two. I don't uh, know if you saw or not. Uh, Haley uh, Steinfeld teased her involvement on Hawkeye series on her Instagram account today. I loved her in Bumblebee. I cannot wait. What are your thoughts? Well, listen, it is it is commonly known that Haley Steinfeld, they've been talking for months that she is probably going to be the co-lead in this Hawkeye series with Jeremy Renner. But they've never 100% confirmed it. This whole thing that she teased this, it's only if you interpret it that way. She was she did a post about something about her birthday and something random and then said something like can't wait to see you guys or can't wait to see it or whatever. And then she happened to use a bow and arrow uh, 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 emoji or whatever it was. Was that her teasing? This? I don't know. Like I, I saw the headlines for it. It's like, oh, and then I went and actually looked at her post. And I'm like, that's a little bit of a stretch. Like, look, personally, I do think they, they've been talking about it long enough. I do think Haley Steinfeld's going to be in it. And she's terrific. I really like her a lot. And I, I think she's going to be wonderful in it. And I do think she will be in it. I'm not sure that that Instagram post actually teased it, though, to be honest with you. That's just kind of my thought. All right. Jordan Cruz writes, how do you get your live videos up so fast after stream? Uh, that's not me, man. Sometimes it takes forever. Like sometimes when the John Campus show is done, I, I've gone through months, Rob, where it's it's taken like hours, three or four hours for the live stream to then post as a regular video on YouTube, but lately they've done a great job. Like, like within about 15 seconds after the live stream ends, the video becomes available just for yeah. replay. Uh, so sometimes YouTube does things that drives me crazy, but sometimes it's completely awesome. So it has nothing, but just so you know, all that goodness has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I had, that's just all on YouTube's end, man. But uh, maybe it's because of my partner status. I have no idea. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But uh, but yeah, it goes up maybe because I live stream so much. Maybe they give my shows priority. I have again, I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Um, OK, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Carmen Cabrera writes, hey, John, I wanted to thank you for recommending Battlestar. Speaking of Battlestar Galactica, I wanted to thank you for recommending Battlestar Galactica. I'm loving it so far. I was wondering, what was your favorite character from the show? Ooh, that's good question. All the characters from the humans to the Cylons to the, I, I just, they are all great. But I really think when it comes down to it, as stereotypical as it may sound, it's got to be Edward James almost as a Dama. 100%, dude. He's so good in that show as a so Dama. Good. And like, he's just, this is weird. He's this old man, but there's this 
power, not just that Edward James almost brings to the screen. Anyway, by the way, if you haven't watched um, the Mayans, the, the Sons of Anarchy spinoff show that Edward James almost is one of the lead stars in it. He's amazing in that, too. But but getting back to this, there is something about the way he plays Adama that is just incredible. And honestly, one of my favorite dynamics in all of television, Rob, is the dynamic between him and I think it's Rosalind, President Rosalind. I, that the, the constant evolving dynamic between them is so good. So I'm yeah, I'm going to go with Adama, Rob. I am Adama 100%, but I also love, I was going to say, I love Rosalind not quite as much because she doesn't have as much to do, but I love her as well. And I think, I don't want to say what happens, but the conclusion of their relationship is is one of the most poignant, moving moments in television history, I think. Yeah, you know what's great about it too is that, I always felt, sorry, I'm pouring a drink as I'm talking here. Um, it always felt that that was a relationship that felt so organic. Like you feel like if this was really happening, there would be some enmity between them right now. And there would be. And then if they went through this, they would have a stronger bond now and they would. And, but it, it, it was just always evolving and changing and deepening. And it was just a, including like Adama's relationship with his own son, Adama's relationship with Ty was always great. I mean, yeah, so uh, sorry, guys, I'm getting sidetracked. I could talk Battlestar Galactica all freaking day. Like I said, it's my favorite show of all time. All right. Uh, next up, Gabriel Morales writes, maybe this is a bad idea, but I think it would be fun if Star Wars started to do stuff outside of canon, explore what if scenarios like what if Anakin never turned to the dark side? Not in movies, of course, just books, etc. Maybe continue Legends. You know, in that I was I was initially getting my back up as I was reading that, Gabriel, but no, I think in the way you kind of set it up, like not in movies, not whatever, but in fun things, like you put very specific legends at the top of it in in a novel or book or whatever. So you make it very clear to the audience, this is not canon. This is just, hey, what if sort of thing in in mediums like that? Rob, I don't see a problem with it. What do you think? No, I, I don't either. I mean, uh, growing up, I love the Marvel what if comics. You know, what if Conan the Barbarian was in the 20th century? And uh, I loved all those kinds of things. So so why not? It's always fun to speculate. I agree. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Terry Giordano writes, Hey, John and Rob, everyone is talking about what one individual is going to show up on Tython uh, uh, when Grogu is placed on stone. I would pose a theory that if a signal sent out to the universe that multiple Jedi would answer the call, uh, what a great finale thoughts uh, but that's just what you would do. Are you saying you actually think that's what's going to happen or that's what you would do if you were writing it? Because I really don't think there's any chance that's what will actually happen. Well, let me let me rephrase that. I think it's a very low chance. Maybe maybe not any chance. I think it's a very low chance. As a matter of fact, I still think there's a very valid chance nobody shows up. I think out of the all the options of who shows up, I still think nobody is a very valid option. At the end of the day, if I had to put money on one possibility, it would probably be Ezra showing up. But even that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's absolutely nobody. Rob, what do you think the chances are that we could get like multiple characters showing up? Like maybe a Luke and an Ezra or a, a Mace Windu and a Cal. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think the chances are of multiple people showing up? I think someone's going to show up. And I think multiple people showing up would be really cool. Um, 
what do you think else is going to happen? I, you know, I don't, I honestly don't know. I don't know, but I think that it's going to, I mean, what do we get? Like two more episodes? Was this episode six that we just saw? I think, yeah, there's two more episodes. So there's two more episodes. I would expect that whatever happens in episode eight is going to be pretty, pretty big. Well, I think whatever's going to happen in seven is going to be pretty big too. So yeah, me too. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, James uh, Bethea writes, Hey, John, I love the show. Thank you so much, James. Uh, I just got through watching all the Star Wars episodic films, and even though there are some misses, I do believe there's more good in the saga than bad. Uh, so my question is, do you think we will eventually get back to them? Thank you. Oh, like get back to the episodic stuff, like episode 10? Yes. If for no other reason, marketing. I mean, that's not the best reason to do it, but that's a good enough reason to a lot of corporations. Look, I don't think we're going to get Star Wars Episode 10 next year. I don't think we're going to get Star Wars Episode 10 in 2020. I don't think we're going to get Star Wars Episode 10 in 2022. 2023, 2024, 2025, maybe. But yeah, I, I do believe at some point we will get back to episodic stuff. I don't think it'll be with the current character roster. Uh, it'll be it'll be something else. But look at the heart of Star Wars. That's the heart of Star Wars is the episodic tales. So I do believe at some point, even if it's just a marketing gimmick, we'll get back to that. Rob, what do you think? Do you think we'll get back to the episodes or do you think they'll just say, no, no, the episodes are now done. We're going to move on with various individual titles. I think the marketing potential of episode X is going to be too great mm. to pass up. You know, yeah. just just having that X. And I don't mean like other than the fact that the Roman numeral 10, I, I think that that's just it's too juicy uh, to pass up. Uh, I kind of agree. All right. Next up, Andrew Nathan writes one of two. Hey, John and Rob, what are the chances that when Grogu reaches out to the forest that a Sith shows up? If some Jedi can survive Order 66, surely some Inquisitors uh, could have survived as well. Moth Gideon needs Grogu to finish his plans. So could we see... Uh, Mando losing Grogu and the rest of the season is him teaming up with Bo-Katan to rescue him from the hands of Moth Gideon. Maybe we could see Ahsoka back near the end as well. Well, again, listen, yeah, everybody knows what I'm going to say here. Whenever you ask a question that involves the word could, could we see this? The answer is always yes. There, there's, right. there are very, very few answers in the entertainment world that have the word could in it that does not have the answer yes. So could that happen? Yes. That, that could happen. The question, the real question is, is it likely that that's what they do? I don't know. As Rob pointed out, one of the things you have to take in consideration when trying to pontificate what's going to come next is how many episodes are left. I think we've got two episodes left. That's not a lot of time. So I don't think, I think right now there, no, I don't think like a, a Darth anybody shows up i i don't think there are are uh, uh there there's a darth so-and-so that's going to show up here i don't think we're going to get inquisitors i'm not even sure if inquisitors are even still around after the finale of rebels i can't i can't remember um but but at any rate so no i don't think that's what will happen it could happen everything is open the possibilities are wide open but i don't think that's likely but we will find out soon enough we're actually dude Tomorrow night at midnight is the next episode of Mandalorian. Look, I don't want to, I don't care. I don't care, Rob, what people say about everything should drop its streaming. I love that we get a new episode of Mandalorian every week. I love Me it. Too. And I'm a streamer. I get it. 
I get it, but I would not trade this being able to see one episode, talk about it, geek out about it, uh, theorize about it with all our fellow fans and build up excitement. And then next week we get to do it again. And the next week we get to do it again. I would not trade this for anything. I would not trade this for anything. I love this. Anyway, sorry. That's just me. All right. Next up. We got Tanu writes, over under 20% Liam Neeson shows up as a force ghost Qui-Gon Jinn for the upcoming Obi-Wan series. That's been a topic of conversation a lot lately, Rob. It's about, you know, 20%. That's a good line. I don't think it's likely that he shows up. I don't think it's likely. But I'll take the over on 20%. I do. Again, Rob, once Liam Neeson made that virtual appearance at Star Wars Celebration to send a message to the fans about Star Wars, like, okay, so he's still kind of at least a little bit plugged in here. I'll take the over on 20%. What do you think? Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I too, will take the over on 20%. i am going to go over 20% because I think it's probably likely. Really? So you everybody- even go over 50 You'd say over 50% then. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's look, the people that are now making these shows, uh, I think really get it and they understand what fans want to see. And I think everybody wants to see Qui-Gon Jinn come back as a force ghost. I know I do. It would be pretty fun. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It would be yeah, pretty I mean, fun. All right. It would be. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Mr. Ghibli Pants. I like that name. Right. It's over under 25% that the actor cast as Black Panther is either Yaya Abdul-Mateen II or John Boyega. Both actors very hot right now, but I'll take under 25%. Listen, there's going to be hundreds. First of all, if they recast T'Challa, which I think is what they will do, but we don't even know for certain that they are going to recast T'Challa. So assuming that they recast T'Challa, for Black Panther, there are literally going to be hundreds of options. We'll, we'll do just two names make up a full quarter of that possibility? Hmm. No. So, I, I mean, both of these names, especially Abdul-Mateen II, is very, very hot right now. John Boyega's has been having some public... What's the word I'm looking for? Some public dust-ups with Disney lately. So I don't know if, what, if that affects the chances of that. He's a very good actor, though. Um, both of these names are possibilities, but I don't think those two out of the hundreds of, of po- uh, potentials out there make up a full 25%. So I will go under 25%. Uh, again, I, I still think the two main names that if you put two names together might make up 15 to 20 percent of it would be, uh, I, again, I'm going to stick with Michael B. Jordan that I explained. I explained my rationale behind that earlier. And uh, John David Washington. Uh, I think those two names might make up 15 percent, but I don't think Yaya or John Boyega makes up 25 percent. Rob, what are your, what's your take on that? Do you think it could be either one of these guys? Yeah, I think it could be either one of them. You know, um, I, I, again, I don't know, man. Though John Boyega, Boyega has been, he's been, he's been talking some smack about <laughs> his character and Disney and all that. And I don't think he's wrong, by the way. But it could be either one. <laughs> all right. Next up, we got Jonathan Hemlock writes, "Hey, John and Rob, great shows. Thank you so much. Is Moff Gideon Guru's Jedi Master? No, I don't think. I don't think he's a Force user. Uh, he might be a fallen Jedi who drops in during the finale and takes Baby Yoda, getting up the uh, final third series with Mando on a revenge mission with Ahsoka, Bo-Katan. I mean, everybody's going to these wild theories. Like, could this happen? And this happen? And this happen? I guess 
I mean, we'll find out. The, the, again, the possibilities are endless. I do not think we're going to see. There's, they have given zero indication that Moff Gideon has any sort of force sensitivity. There's been absolutely nothing that we've seen in the show so far that has given any that would would in the least bit imply that he has force powers or is force sensitive or anything like that. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think really unlikely. So I do not think that is the direction uh, that they're going to. I don't think they're going to go that right. Rob, what do you think? The chances that turns out Moff Gideon is some kind of fallen Jedi, whatever. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think so. <laughs> I I, I want to say that Moff Gideon is a career Imperial officer. He's a lifer, man. He believes in the Empire. Yeah. And you don't get to Moth overnight. Like Moth no. is, is is like there's there's Emperor, there's Grand Moth, and then there's Moth. I, I mean, so I, I just, I don't, I, it's not like something he just, hey guys, I'm just, I'm here. Can I apply yeah. for the moth position? You know, I just, so I don't know. Again, not impossible though. It's not the craziest thing to say, Jonathan. All right, next up. Uh, Massage from Poland writes, what if, I almost said Brett Favre. <laughs> what if Boba Fett was just a try? Let me try this again. What if Boba Fett was just a try? And we got a new series about his redemption. Uh, C. Monaghan was cast as uh, Kestis because Disney plans him in Mandalorian or other. Mace Windu on Tython. New Rebel season will be live action if we get Ezra, Ahsoka, Thrawn. Oh, yeah, that's a lot in there in, in just one thing. Um, again, getting back to um, Monaghan as Cal. No. they uh, This theory that the reason they got... Uh, uh, Monahan to play Cal and they actually modeled the character in the game after the actor like <coughs> pardon me uh, I was holding that sneeze in for a while so a lot of people are saying oh the reason they modeled the character to look just like the actor is because they must have plans to use him live action that is simply not true at least that's not good logic because Star Wars itself has done video games where they modeled the game character exactly after a particular actor or actress who's doing the voicing and the motion capture. Sam Witwer as Starkiller. Um, I'm forgetting the girl's name, Rob, the actress who was just in the new Battlefront. She played the Imperial the Imperial officer in Battlefront. Oh, yeah, she's, kind of the, she's kind of the main character in that. I, I forget that. But they did those, and they never used Sam Witwer. I mean, other than voicing uh, Maul, of course. But they never did a live-action series of Starkiller, um, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think just because they used him as the actual physical model, that does not automatically mean that he's going to show up and that meant they must have had these plans. Not at all. But if you watched my previous show, you guys know I do think Cal showing up is a possibility. I do think that's an option, but I don't think it's because this that automatically means that because there have already been a several examples of that in Star Wars that have proven that that's not necessarily the case. But we'll see where it goes. I'm excited. All right. Uh, tumbling. Tur 
Donado writes, I have noticed that his dark material seems to be losing hype from the online community. Three episodes in and yet to hear a good or bad things so far about season two. Is the hype gone or is there just too much good TV these days that it gets buried? You know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Tumbling. Because, Rob, I remember when season one launched, I jumped into it and I just without making a choice to do it, I just sort of fell off it after about three or four episodes. I just didn't find it to be that good. I, I didn't find anything wrong with it. I didn't I didn't watch it go, oh, this sucks. No, not at all. It's just that I just found I naturally, without making a choice to do it, I just kind of fell off it and I just never bothered picking back up. And you're right. Season two has launched and I've heard nobody talk about it. Like nobody has talked about it. Rob, what do you think's going on here? Well, you know, I've heard a few people that watch it talk about how great season two is, but for the most part, it doesn't have much of a, a footprint in the online genre community. And, you know, it's really interesting. Amazon has a show called Utopia that just did not get picked up for its second season. And Utopia is based on a British show that uh, is considered to be a classic. Uh, a great a great show but the american version almost had no it did not echo it should have been a it should have been maybe a talked about hit like the umbrella academy um but it just didn't go anywhere and it didn't get a second season and i think that there are some things everyone the his the his dark materials philip pullman's trilogy is a great trilogy of books that you know 10 15 years ago was was hugely successful and if people read harry potter they would turn to those books but I just don't know now. I mean, we got the Golden Compass movie, and and that wasn't that well received. Maybe some stories don't necessarily set everybody afire when you see them in different mediums. You know, there's another book series, John, another great genre book series. The first one's called The Rook, and they actually made a show of it. And I was really excited, and it was pretty damn good. Nobody watched it. Nobody even remembers it. And it was like, what, two years ago? Mm. All right. Uh, next up, we got Cesar Rivera writes, out of these TV channels, in your opinion, uh, which channel is your favorite slash best in delivering prestige content? AMC with Breaking Bad, uh, Mad Men, uh, The Walking Dead, FX, Atlanta, Sons of Anarchy, US Network, Mr. Robot, Burn Notice, HBO, uh, Game of Thrones, Soprano, Showtime, Homeland. Uh, to me, that's easy. It's HBO. I, I, to me, th there's yeah. just no question. AMC, listen, and all of them have done some terrific stuff. You didn't even put Netflix in there. I mean, Netflix has done some outstanding stuff, but to me, Rob, the gold standard of consistent, mind-boggling, medium-defining content um, has got to be HBO. Like whether it shows like Sopranos or The Wire, which a lot, a lot of people, I know a lot of TV fans uh, that just consider The Wire to be like, that's it, the greatest television show ever made. Uh, I'm not one of them, but it is great. Sopranos changed the Game of Thrones. No television show in history has ever owned pop culture during the, the length of its run or won nearly as many Emmys or whatever is that. So, I mean, then, then it's even the smaller stuff. Like they've got that one. What's it called? Not It's not called Dave. Uh, Barry. Barry right now is incredible. I mean, 
again, a lot of other great stuff. We're living in a golden age right now for this. But I, I got to say to me, Rob, it's just HBO hands down. What do you think? Yep. I agree with you. And and it's not just the shows that we bring up. It's it's everything. It's everything from true detective to sex in the city to even go back going back further. Dream on. I mean, HBO yeah. has done so for the last the last 30 years of, of programming and HBO's original movies and everything they've done, even working with people like Martin Scorsese. And I mean, they've done so much incredible stuff. John Frankenheimer doing his TV movies back in the day. I mean, HBO is the king. Yeah, and, and I think they're still, they got some great competition right now, though. Excellent competition. All right, James Argento writes, What comes first? Mando Season 3, Cassie Nandor Season 1, the Obi-Wan series, Boba Fett, or uh, the Leslie Headland series? I think the Bobs will give an update, will give updates on some of these series on December 10th. Yes, now, so remember, December 10th, They've, Disney's holding that investors call, uh, which are, you know, it, it, it's a, these calls are meant to do a couple of things when you're Disney. One is just to you, you're obligated to have these calls and to communicate what's going on with the company to the shareholders. But it's also to invigorate the investors, keep them excited about being investors in Disney, right? All that kind of stuff. Now, we already know they're probably going to announce the moving of uh cruella is going to move to to disney plus they're going to move the pinocchio tom hanks's pinocchio to disney plus i am still expecting that they're going to announce the moving of black widow although i don't know that for sure just to be clear i don't know that but that's what i expect i the, you'll probably hear some stuff too being mentioned about what the state is going to be of their star wars presence on disney plus my guess right now is that we will get mandalorian season three First, now they said Boba Fett should be going, should be in production right now. Because remember, the report came out a couple weeks ago that says next week they're going to start shooting Boba Fett. And I haven't heard anything else since. So theoretically, Boba Fett should be the next one to come out. I still think it's going to be Mandalorian season three. I, I actually think that'll be the next one to come out. Rob, where do you think we're at with that? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they already shot Mandalorian season three and it's just in post. Um, but uh, I, I, I look, aren't we getting Obi-Wan next? Well, they're not even going to start shooting that for a little while. Right. Right, But I mean, so, they're going to if, if they haven't done Mandalorian season three yet. I mean, we got Cassie and Andor, you know, this Boba Fett show. I mean, they keep saying they're going to do a Boba Fett show like right away. Like, you know, hey, we're going to start shooting that. I'm like. I don't know about that because that means the scripts already have to be written. And maybe they were because of quarantine. I have no idea. But if the Boba Fett show does indeed start shooting, we'll get that probably first. And it, God knows it'll probably lead into Mandalorian season three because they've got a good thing going. I yep. mean, you know, Star Wars merchandising, Baby Yoda alone has brought Star Wars merchandising back. The Mandalorian, I mean, you know, the, the, the new HasLab thing was the, was the Razorcrest ship. And they needed a certain amount at 300 bucks a pop, and they blew past that. Everyone loves The Mandalorian and on every level. So the, the more, whether it's Boba Fett, whether it's Mandalorian, I think those are both the top priorities of the studio right now. 
All right, Daniel, I think you're right. Next up, we got Russell Amador who writes, Hey, John, I'm taking this back to 2012, but recently discovered safety not guaranteed. Oh, Aubrey Plaza was in that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, safety not guaranteed on Netflix and watch it for the first time and really enjoyed it. I don't recall this ever being on my radar when it first came out, but this was definitely a hidden gem. I like safety not guaranteed, which, by the way, is based on a real life situation. Safety Not Guaranteed is based on a real-life situation. I believe that was Audrey Plaza. And I'm forgetting. It's it's a name we know now, a director. Who directed that? It's Colin a name. Trevorrow. It was Colin Trevorrow. That's the, that's the one that put Colin Trevorrow on the map for people. It's a good little movie. Like, listen, I was never... And the reason it wasn't on anybody's radar, it was a small little independent kind of release thing. It didn't make a lot of noise. But as time passed on, more and more people discovered it. And it's a solid movie. Rob, did you ever get around to watching Safety oh, yeah. Not Guaranteed? I think it's... Del- I, I loved it. I thought it was delightful. But if you, you ever know. get a chance, do read up on the act. It's based on an actual newspaper ad that was put out. That's what the whole premise of it is. And it's really kind of an interesting story if you go and look into it. All right. Willow writes, uh, since directors usually don't have much say in the making of trailers, how do people who cut the trailers know what footage to show in order to represent a movie properly and also avoid giving away major spoilers? Well, one of the pieces of information that, that you know some of the people that are in my documentary are the presidents of um of one of the oldest running trailer companies actually the oldest running trailer the longest running trailer company in hollywood it's called aspect and we were lucky that the 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 two co-presidents and their creative director agreed to be in our documentary to talk about that and what they kind of laid out was they don't work with the director when they're making trailers for uh, these movies, they're not actually working with the director. They work with the uh, marketing executive of the studio. That's so the marketing executive becomes the point person to kind of communicate to the trailer company what their vision is, what kind of tone they want to have. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, there's this little movie called Movie Trailers A Love Story, available now worldwide on Vimeo and in the US and UK on Amazon. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the studio executives, the marketing executive that they work with and they get that information from. That's what keeps them on track. All right. Caleb writes trivia. Schitt's Creek, which is the number four streaming show in the world right now, and one of the best shows ever. you got to see the show. Uh, Schitt's Creek is the second show to win lead actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, writing, directing, and best show. Uh, what was the first? Hint, it was in the miniseries category. So it's not really the same thing. If it was in the miniseries category, yeah. it's not really the same thing. I would, miniseries, I would guess Angels in America would be my guess. I know that won a lot of Emmys. That was the one with Al Pacino. Other than that, I have no guess. But so my guess would be Angels in America as uh, I believe it was a miniseries. So, yeah, that would be my guess. All right. uh, Next up. Uh, good good trivia though, Caleb. Uh, Alan Horns Horn writes, I like that name. Have you seen some of the deep fakes applied to CGI? Uh, de-aged actors such as Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy. Some examples look better than what was actually achieved originally. Do you think deep fakes will be used to de-age actors in future films? Well, we see it all the time. And, you know, we talked about yesterday about how there's this this is growing ban, like in California, in New York. But there's a growing ban on deep fakes when it's being done without the consent of the person whose image you're using. Something like Michael Douglas, Rob, and uh, Ant-Man, I think it was Ant-Man 2, right? Or was it the original? No, it was the original Ant-Man, right? 
in the first Ant-Man movie, they did they had Michael Douglas there. Yep. And it wasn't really deep fake because deep fake is when you're taking somebody else's face and putting it on a different actor. This is actually Michael Douglas, but they use CG technology to to youth him up a little bit, if you will. That is something that they do and have been doing regularly. The Irishman just did that to huge effect. Uh, it was the same thing they did with Jeff Bridges and that. So, yeah, that is something that with the actor's consent and the actor actually being there, that is something they do regularly and they will continue to do. Rob, do you see that changing? Well, people have to remember that deep fake, the way they're doing it, the way you can have an app, it doesn't necessarily stand up to scrutiny when you're doing it in 4K. And mm. and it's easy to do it at a lower resolution, but to make it like the Tron Legacy version of, obviously it was it was early on where uh, over ten years ago now where we saw a young Jeff Bridges recreated in Tron, and the world has come a long way with that kind of technology. But the apps and the deep fakes that everybody are using would not necessarily stand up on your movie screen, right? And while I think it's 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 interesting, we're going to get there. Uh, you have to understand that there's a lot more work involved than just using an app and deep faking somebody's face on the internet because when it's on a 60 foot screen, it's harder to do. Right. All right. Next up, uh, Robert, uh, beverage writes, Hey John, have you seen corridor crew on YouTube where they react to good and bad CGI? It's my second favorite YouTube channel. I have not watched it yet, but I, I keep, it does keep popping up on my recommendations list because I'm, I'm a CGI junkie and I used to work in a CGI industry. So I should check it out and I will at some point, Rob, are you familiar with this or have you watched yeah. any of their stuff? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, one of the things that I, I I like I, I both I have a love hate relationship with these kinds of things because a lot of the time they don't take into consideration where the technology was at the time and what was people forget now that everybody takes it for granted. But, you know, we only have had the kind of CG technology that we all know and love for a very short period of time as far as film history is concerned. So when some people complain about, oh, the CG was bad, it was early on, you know, it was embryonic and it gets better and better and better and better and better. I, and yet you have to take that into consideration. Still, I do love watching that channel, though. I got to check it out. Uh, next up, Dwayne Jackson writes, Hello, John and family. With all the movies about Christ and his life and teaching, how come we have never gotten a movie about the prophet Muhammad, his life and his teachings? I see documentaries on him. Jesus and Muhammad were very similar. Well, I think the main reason, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Like there are some cultural reasons as well. But ultimately, the movie business is a business. Ultimately, I think the main reason you've seen lots about one and not the other is because in North America, one will have a larger audience than the other. And so like you can have, you got to understand the audience you're playing to. So they can make a movie like Ben-Hur, Tale of the Christ. You can make that movie in a society, in a culture that is more likely to become an audience for that movie than, than something else. So really, I think it just comes down to pure marketing. I think the main reason you've seen more about one, the other is because it, of the audience that it's playing to. I think that's the main thing. All right. Robert beverage also writes one of two. Uh, I watched movie trailers, a love story on Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for that, dude. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for making it. Speaking of trailers, I disagree with you that Man of Steel is a masterpiece of the genre. However, I will agree that Man of Steel has one of the greatest uh, teaser and trailers of all time. That's funny because I do think 
Man of Steel is a masterpiece of the comic book movie genre, but I don't, and I think it's a great trailer. I don't know if it's one of the greatest of all time, but it's certainly a great trailer. And it really did, Rob, you know, a lot of people criticize Zack Snyder's color palette that he used for it and all that kind of stuff. But the trailer, whether you liked or didn't like the color palette, the trailer was a really great representation of what you were getting in that movie, right? Yes, it was. Like it really had that style. And, you know, for some people, Look, everybody knows for a lot of people, the style, whatever, a lot of people, Man of Steel doesn't work. For those like myself, and I think you, Rob, it really, really did work. But the trailer was a great representation of that. What, what do you think about that? No, I think so, too. I think the trailer was a great – and the music, Hans oh, Zimmer's yeah, music. Yeah. I mean, all those things work together. By the by the end of that film you're, or the end of the trailer, you're weeping. You're weeping with pride and joy, and you're happy to be alive. I mean, it's amazing. All right, next up, we've got James Welsh who writes, one of two, the Avatar sequels are probably going to be the most expensive films of all time going by Cameron's track record. I don't know if that's true, uh, but at any rate, uh, like the first Avatar, the visuals are probably going to be groundbreaking like the first one. The thing is, the first Avatar was at its... Uh, I got to find. Yeah, at its uh, was in cinemas. TVs don't have the tech to give 3D experiences at home like it did in cinemas. Since the tech being used in Avatar Two is being designed for cinemas and not TV to get the full experience, what will Disney do if cinemas are not around? That's actually not a bad question, Rob. No, I mean because listen, Cameron is also one of these guys who is a ride or die movie theater experience or die kind of thing. Like he is yes. absolutely all about that. I don't know that it'll change it all that much. Listen, I'll be honest with you, but you know that I really don't give two craps about 3D. I really don't. But I remember when I saw Avatar for the first time in 3D and I even I went, wow. Yep. Like in three and I I don't care about 3D, but I'm like, that was a great experience. Then I watched it at home in non-3D. I'm like, oh, I didn't have any less of a good experience with it not being 3D, but that was just me. So look, I, I think it'll be unfortunate that a lot of people aren't going to get the full experience that Cameron was intending, but I don't think it will ultimately undermine the movie if it goes straight to streaming per se, but you're right. It's an unfortunate and tricky situation they're going to have to deal with here. And do they want to piss off Cameron by bypass? I don't know, Rob, what do you do? I, I mean, it's a really good question. Knowing James Cameron, he would build his own theaters. That's the only place you can see Avatar <laughs> too. Um, I, I, it, hopefully, hopefully, we won't. It won't come to that because I think. Look, I'll tell you, my mom, ultimate pragmatist that she is. I've told this story so many times, but my mom had never seen an IMAX or a, a 3D movie in IMAX, and I took her to see Avatar. And my mom, you know, she goes to these things with me to humor me. But my mom was 70 at the time Avatar came out. And after it was over, she turned to me, her eyes bug-eyed, wider than I've ever seen in my life. And she said, how did they do that? And if that movie can affect my mom that way in 3D IMAX, I can't wait to see what James Cameron's going to do next. And I, it would be a damn shame if we don't get to see Avatar 2 in 3D IMAX. Yeah, so well, I'm hoping that the, uh, the, the vaccine comes, it works, we can all get back to normal lives and see Avatar 2 in 3D IMAX. All right, Rob, we have uh, I know we've gone past your limit here. We're past 1130 and things you got to do. So thanks a lot for being here, dude. We'll talk to you again later in the week. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your adventures online? 
Well, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at RMBurnett or Robert Meyer Burnett. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where we have movies debuting every day in the first Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. All right, dude. I'm looking forward to watching those and judging them for your festival. Thanks a lot for being here, dude. And I will talk to you later, my friend. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, guys, that is the one and the only, the fabulous Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But we still got some time here, so let's keep on going through your questions, shall we? Timbula the Spider Monkey writes, in regards to the copyright conversation you had, when uh, the Marx Brothers made A Night in Casablanca, I love the Marx Brothers, by the way, Warner Brothers tried to sue them because of copyright with Casablanca. Uh, Groucho answered by asking if people couldn't tell the difference between Ingrid Bergman and Harpo. Yeah, and again, that's the thing, right? Casablanca is a place. You can't copyright that name. You can't copyright that name. So that does go back to that conversation. That's a great story, though, Timbula. Thanks for sharing that one, man. All right. Uh, next up, we got Ryan Loner writes, if you're reading this, congratulations. You've won at least as many football games as the New York Jets this season. Man, I'll tell you what. You know, uh, uh, Mike Greeny or Mike Greenberg on ESPN, they call him Greeny. Who's a big Jets fan, man. I, I just love watching him melt down over the Jets. I like Mike Greeny. Don't get me wrong. It's tough. I I don't I don't wish a winless season on any team. Even my most hated teams like the Dallas Cowboys. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. I wouldn't wish a, a winless season on them though. That th these are professional athletes who are given their heart and passion and trying their best and well I might want them to lose more than I want them to win. I don't want to see anybody go winless. And right now the Jets are 0 and 11 and they may very well finish 0 for when the entire season's done. Eesh. All right, K Major writes I'm glad to see that Filoni has matured ever so slightly as a director. I was listening to an interview from uh, Rosaria Dawson, and she mentions how he toyed with the idea of her saying, is that a baby Master Yoda? Upon seeing Grogu, how cringe would that have been? I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know if that would have been all that cringe. Listen, there's a lot of things about Mandalorian that are done as little winks to the audience. Uh, let's just call it. There is a lot of fan service in Mandalorian, and it's all mostly used pretty well. And I think a little acknowledgement to the fact that they've never referred to this character as Baby Yoda in the show. It's always been the child or now Grogu. But a little wink like that, if said properly and then moved on quickly, they didn't linger on it waiting for a laugh track to play. It could have been kind of a fun little thing. I, 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 I wouldn't. It all depends on the execution. If they, if like, if Rosario Dawson uh, playing Ahsoka said, "Is that a baby Master Yoda?" and then looked at the camera and went, then that would have been cringy. That would have been cringy. If if she kind of says to herself a little bit under her breath, just so we the audience could hear it, it looks like a baby version of Master Yoda, and then moved on to the next line. I, then it could have just been a fun line. Again, I think it came major. I think it all would have been about the execution. It would have been about the, it could have been very cringy, could have been a nice little bit of fan service to the odds. I don't know. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. All right. Next up, artificial IPP rights or artificial PP rights. Hey, John, I was just wondering, what do you think uh, Taika uh, and 1917's writer new Star Wars movie is going to be about? I don't think it's going to be Old Republic because of Taika's tone and style. Do you have any guesses? How about Scorsese style, the Hutt's gangster movie? That would be different. Honestly, here's the thing. There is no reason it couldn't be Old Republic. Old Republic is simply an era, right? The Old Republic is just an era. 
And the beautiful thing about the Old Republic era is that it's a totally huge, totally vast universe that you can do what Star Wars should be doing already anyway, which is tell totally new stories with totally new characters in this vast universe far, far away. And so now I'm not saying that I think it will be Old Republic. I'm not I'm not suggesting that. But there is absolutely no reason it couldn't be Old Republic. Because remember, when Star Wars talks about Old Republic, they're not talking about the video game Old Republic. They're talking specifically about the era. And there's no reason Taika Waititi couldn't do his kind of movie in an era like that. All you got to do is look at uh, Jojo Rabbit. He can tell a story that is a tragedy and heart-wrenching and all that kind of stuff while being hilariously funny at the same time. Like he did with Jojo Rabbit. What an absolute masterpiece that movie is. So, yeah, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be in the older public. That's, I, I don't really have a guess what it will be. I really don't because the sky's the limit. There's nothing suggesting he's going to do one or the other. I'm just saying don't write off that it'll be older public because it very well could be. All right. And Anonymous Viewer writes, hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, with December finally here, I got to know what is the one I got to know. What is the one Christmas movie that you need to watch almost every year? Mine would have to be National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I was I've been asked this a lot lately. There's two movies that for me always come up and both because they were always done in the Campia household. Uh Wizard of Oz. I have no idea why Wizard of Oz was a Christmas tradition around our house. But it just was. It's not a Christmas movie, but Wizard of Oz was just always a movie that at some point during the week around Christmas, Wizard of Oz was on the TV. The other is the 1951 Alistair Sim version of A Christmas Carol. That's that's another one. Uh, that is always, so those are the two for me that I've I've always got to go to. Thanks for that, Anonymous. All right, next up, the Sock Rites. One of two. I agree that the Mandalorian needs to be ex needs to be explained. Let me try this again. I agree the Mandalorian needs to be explained. Give some short backstory on animated original characters, but I don't think they should be shy about including them in the show. Uh, the way I look at it is that the Mandalorian is a house and uh, we are its guests and you don't tailor everything to one portion of your guests, which is why I say that if they that if they don't seeing Ahsoka or Bo-Katan, I simply say tough, uh, though I do not want them to start throwing in familiar characters every five seconds. Yeah, I again, I just don't want Mandalorian to become Rebels, the TV show. One of the things that I've that that kept me so excited about Rebels or about uh, and I love Rebels, but the one of the things that kept me excited about Mandalorian was that it was finally Star Wars doing what Star Wars should have been doing for a long time. New characters having new adventures in new places in this galaxy far, far away. And that's what it was in a familiar setting with new characters, new adventures, new everything like that. And I have no problem with the fact that we had a guest shot of Boba Fett. I have no problem that we had a guest appearance for Bo-Katan. I have no problem that we did, especially after watching it. I was a little bit nervous beforehand, but once I saw it and saw how well they did it, uh, the Ahsoka Tano uh, appearance, that's all fine. But, you know, I've had a number of people writing in and I agree with them. I do not want to see Mandalorian just become, who's the special Star Wars appearance this week? You know, like next it's going to be Lando and next is going to be, it's like, again, and then we just start shrinking the universe again and again and again. Yeah, it's a house, but make it a new house. 
Don't make it the same apart one bedroom apartment we've been living in for 40 years. Make it a new house. You know what I mean? So, and they've been executing it well. I just don't want this to see this become the habit. Like we've already had, look, there's Boba Fett. Look, there's Bo-Katan. Look, there's Ahsoka Tano. Okay, let's, can, that's cool once in a while and you've done it really well, but can we move beyond that? So I don't know. We'll see. I, I'll be very excited to see how they handle that and manage it moving forward. Uh, Boris writes, hey, John, my Spotify 2020 wrapped up. I found so many people emailing me and tweeting me and messaging me snapshots of their uh, Spotify 2020 playlist, which has been hilarious. Uh, my Spotify 2020 wrapped up shows me that you're my top podcast with 333 minutes, a life changer and saves data while driving to work. Uh, check yours. If you use Spotify, uh, Vimeo has been downloaded. Can't wait to watch your documentary this week. And well, thank you so much. And by the way, thank you to everybody who's been sending me these snapshots showing that like the John Campy show is like the number one or number two or number three podcast that they listened to in all of 2020. That's been, I didn't even know that was a thing. So thank you to everybody who's been sending that to me. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for watching the show and thanks for listening to it on the podcast feed as well. And thanks for checking out my documentary, Boris. I hope you enjoy it, dude. All right, next up, Tanu writes, uh, I know you're trying with My Hero Academia, but I would recommend Cowboy Bebop, which I have watched Cowboy Bebop, just, you know, and uh, Trigun Anime. I am not familiar with Trigun Anime. If you haven't already, both are great space westerns uh, that are relatively short, 26 episodes each. Both of those are my top three animated series. Yeah, and I continue to push through with My Hero Academia. I I got through season one, and I was like, I love the world. I love the context i really like the all might character all might is great but i also found it difficult to watch the show because of the main character deku and uh kashan i think that's who, how you say the fire guy's name because they're both so unbearable to listen to talk because neither of them just talk they are either constantly crying and whining they're talking like this and oh what am i gonna do or the other one uh Kachin, if that's how you say his name like, like everything they say and it's like okay th i this might appeal to seven-year-olds but this is getting real tired on me but I, I finished the first season and i just honestly didn't know if i was going to watch a second season uh unlike say avatar which i watched the first season i couldn't wait to start watching the second season but i did yesterday decide all right i had enough people tell me just keep pushing through it it gets better and so i'm a few episodes into season two and it's a little bit better it is a little bit better. They do those super annoying things a little bit less. So I hope that continues. I hope that continues. All right, next up. Casey McNatt writes, John, I don't know about you, but I think it's weird how NBA basketball restarts in 20 days. I think it's completely weird, completely irresponsible, and completely stupid. Uh, we just crowned an NBA champion a few months ago, and now it's time to start the season again. Guess we'll have uh, another thing to blame 2020 for that. Listen, uh, let me just say this quick. I... So admire the way the NBA handled the pandemic situation last season. They stopped their season and then restarted it in a bubble. In a contained, isolated bubble. And they were able to do that with no, no COVID positive tests. Unbelievable. They went, they finished off their regular season and they did all their playoffs and they did it all in the bubble without any positive COVID tests. Unbelievable job. And I have applauded the NBA for the way they did it. And they deserve that, that, that kudos. 
to start up again in a non-bubble environment while the pandemic is at its worst right now. Well, John, baseball started back up. Yeah, and look at all the new COVID tests baseball had. And baseball started up when the when the pandemic wasn't half as bad as it is right now. I just think it's incredibly foolish of the NBA and irresponsible of the NBA to start up right now, outside of a bubble, nonetheless. I think it's foolish and irresponsible. I think they should delay the start of the season. And look, we've got a vaccines coming. There is an end in sight. You just got to be a little patient or do what you did with the last season. Say, we're going to have our season, but it's going to be in a bubble until the vaccines kick in. I mean, the NBA players don't want to do that, but tough. You want to make your millions of dollars play in a bubble for a couple of months. I don't know. I, I just think it's I think it's really irresponsible of them. That's just my uh, that's just my take on it at any rate. All right. The Canadian singing postie writes in. Hey, John and crew, and talking about the office being high on the Nielsen list, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that it's leaving Netflix at the end of this month? Been binging it hard while on the road. Yeah, so it is leaving Netflix uh, at the end of the month, and it's I believe it's going over to Peacock, which is going to be a huge boost for Peacock. I don't know, because there's a reason they paid so many, so many. I think it's like over $100 million they paid for the rights to play that for a while. Um it has just always been a the one of the highest rated streaming things ever since it came out, uh, ever since it really made its move to streaming. And it's going to be a big boon for Peacock. So honestly, I don't think it has a lot to I think honestly, Posty, I think most people aren't even aware that it's going to finish on Netflix at the end of the month. I think mo I think the vast majority of Netflix subscribers don't even know that it's coming to an end on Netflix and that's going to be moving over to Peacock. So since I don't even think most people are even aware of that, I don't think it's made that big of a difference, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when it makes its move to, uh, to Peacock and how many more people, I still hate the name of that damn thing. How many people will actually then go and sign up for Peacock once the office moves over there, especially since they have a free option to sign up for. All right, next up, just got time for a couple more here, guys. Uh, my Mando theory, one of two rights. I don't think a Jedi would show, especially after just meeting one. Uh, I see some saying Cal from Fallen Order, but timeline wise, Cal would be in his 40s uh, and the actor is 27. So not yet uh, for him. <laughs> yeah, but Bo-Katan, look at Bo what they did with Bo-Katan. They're, they're, they're flexible. F Favreau's flexible when it comes to ages. So you could just say he's maybe mid 30s now because look at Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan should have been a lot older. Uh, once she showed up in the Mandalorian, right? So they've already shown that they're flexible with that. Uh, what if nobody shows up, but right before Mando loses hope and leaves, uh, he sees a droid instead, maybe BD-1 from Fallen Order. It would make sense because he could have info Mando needs that leads him to the next episode. And imagine all the cute scenes Grogu and BD-1 could have, and Tython was leaked as one of the new planets for the Fallen Order sequel. Okay, what I don't think they're going to do is use Mandalorian as a marketing tool for a video game. They're not going to use Mandalorian. Favreau would never do that. They're not going to simply use it as a springboard for a video game. I totally could see them incorporating some of the video games. Like I could see Cal showing up. I can see that happening. 
But I don't think Favreau would, they would do it as a way to promote the next video game coming out. I just don't see how in any universe or in any reality that John Favreau agrees to do something like that. That's just my thought on that. So, and the fact of the matter is the vast, vast, vast majority of the people who watch Mandalorian will have no idea what the hell BD1 is. They'll have no idea. None. Now, there are there are also people who watch Mandalorian that had no idea who Bo-Katan was and had no idea who Ahsoka Tano was, but a lot more people knew who they were than would know what BD-1 is when they showed up. So there wouldn't be that audience thrill moment either. So I can't see that happening. But as we keep saying with Mandalorian, the universe is wide open as far as the possibilities. So let's, let's keep that in mind. Let's see what happens. Maybe they do go that way. All right. Grogu is a fine name, writes... <laughs> Could Disney even use the Netflix produced Daredevil? I believe they cannot. Uh, I get that they can use the character again, but could they bring back the show or would they have to get permission from Netflix to do so? I don't see the save Daredevil movement considering this. No, as far as I, as far as I'm aware, lacking specific language that would have to be in the contracts, which I'm not privy to, generally speaking, um, Disney is not free to use that iteration of the character. Uh, compare it like this. Remember a couple of years ago, Sam Raimi did his own Wizard of Oz movie with James Franco. Now, they were a different studio, but they based their Wizard of Oz movie on the book, which meant Sam Raimi's Wizard of Oz movie was free to use anything from the book in their movie. What they could not do though, is anything from the original movie that the original movie made up and wasn't in the book. Sam Raimi's movie couldn't use that element. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong about this specific example, but just follow me here for at any rate. So I believe the Ruby red slippers in the original movie, I think that wasn't in the book. The ruby reds, the ruby slippers. I don't think the ruby slippers were in the original book. I that was something that they made up in the movie. So that would mean that Sam Raimi can do a Wizard of Oz movie, but he can't use the ruby slippers because those weren't from the book. You see what I'm saying? At least in principle, you see what I'm saying, right? So you got to apply that to whatever Daredevil would be. So Daredevil is absolutely a Marvel character. They can use Daredevil if they can do it. But that specific iteration of Daredevil, I believe those rights belong to Netflix. And anything that they made up in the TV show of Daredevil is something that they can't use in uh, in the Marvel shows. Again, this is all barring specific language in the contract that nobody is privy to. And besides all of that, Kevin Feige has a track record that he doesn't like to play in other people's sandboxes. He doesn't like to play with toys other people made. He likes his toys. He likes his sandbox that he created. And that's helped him have a very, very solid quality control on the MCU and their universe. And so that's why, while it is not impossible, that is why it is highly unlikely you're going to see the, char the specific Charlie Cox Daredevil or Vincent D'Onofrio Kingpin back again. I think it's very, very, for those two very, very, very big, important reasons. Again, it doesn't mean it's impossible. Crazier things have happened. We live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. 
So anything's possible, but again, highly, highly unlikely. All right, uh, let's see here. Uh, dashing, dashing through the snow, which is great because Anne and I have two dashings. Uh, I love seeing animals in film, but I feel there's a double standard. Having dogs die on screen is sad and risky, but it seems like cats dying is always played for laughs, like in Grand the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, the only sad cat <laughs> film death I can think of is Mufasa. That's because cats dying is funny. I just pissed off all the cat lovers. This is me not caring. I don't like cats. I don't like cats. I love kittens. I do. I love kittens. But like my mom would always say, the only problem with kittens is that they turn into cats. Um, I it's just remember. I remember. I can't remember. Some comedian I heard talking to somebody saying, uh, like talking to a girl. Oh, uh, do you have any pets? And she says, yeah, I have a cat. And he says, oh, and how long have you had that problem? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a cat guy, even though I grew up with a cat and I loved my cat. I had a cat that I named Luke Skywalker when I was a kid. I had a cat named my cat Luke Skywalker. And I did like that cat. My family had a wonderful cat for many, many years that was out at the Campia Ranch that, that just died last year. Um, uh, and they, that was very sad. But generally speaking, I am not a cat guy. <laughs> so like, yeah, cats die in movies. Call that a comedy. That's a feel good movie. Yeah, but dogs. Yeah, you're you're not wrong, Dash. There's a total double standard. There absolutely is. I just I just don't feel bad about that double standard, and I see no problem with it. And now all the cat lovers hate me. All right, Darth M writes. Hey, John and Rob, above or below? <laughs> it just reminds me of a wrong Swanson, Ron Swanson line from Parks and Rec. He said, "Any dog under twenty pounds is a cat, and cats are useless." Perfect Ron Swanson line. Anyway, Darth M writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here right now. Above or below 50%, Liam Neeson appears in the Kenobi show. I, I believe it's below 50%. We've kind of covered that already. I think he will appear as a force ghost. Yoda says at the end of Revenge of the Sith that he was training him for Obi-Wan and will teach him how to communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes, that happened, but that doesn't mean that's something they have to follow through on later. Lots of things get said in movies that they never follow through on later. Um, again, I do believe there is a possibility he does. Because like I said, at, at uh, Star Wars Celebration a couple of years ago, I was really surprised when Liam Neeson sent in a specific message, a video message, and they played it on the big screens in the Hall of Liam Neeson sending in this sp specific message to Star Wars fans at Star Wars Celebration. I thought, wow, so he's still kind of staying in connection a little bit. So I believe it's a possibility, but I would take way under 50%, way under 50%, even understanding how the whole Force Ghost thing uses is done and the connection to the uh, Rebel Season 6 or uh, uh, Clone Wars Season 6 and all that kind of stuff. But I still would take under 50%, but it is possible. It is it is possible and, and a solid possibility, too. Uh, just in time to chat writes uh hey pals not sure if you guys knew this but at the very end of the phantom menace with the celebration and the kids singing there are actually singing the emperor's theme but in a major key huge and amazing foreshadowing by lucas and williams once again i don't know if i've ever heard that before i would i i'd like to know where you got that information from because that's actually pretty interesting and it would make sense right that would make sense that he would then come to adopt that as kind of, you know, a theme that would make sense. Yeah. Actually, if you could send me email me at John at the John campus show dot com and uh, tell me your reference for that, where you heard that information, because that's actually pretty interesting. It's something I didn't know uh, if it's true. It's something I didn't know. Uh, Jason writes. 
After John's Oscar rant, watch him win an Oscar if it qualifies for his excellent documentary. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. First of all, that's total fiction. But imagine I, I get nominated for best documentary and win best documentary. I stand there. I just want to say none of us should be here right now. It's disgusting that we're all here. But thank you so much to the Academy for giving me this award. Yeah, that's that's totally the way it'll play out. Uh, next up, and really a, a final question of the day, guys. This is the, the, we're out of time here. Uh, so Richard will be our last question for people like uh, Aaron and Peter and anybody after that don't worry we'll start off the live questions part of the show tomorrow with your questions we'll, we'll pick up with yours on tomorrow's show so don't worry you sent in the question it's going to get answered but we end off today with Richard writing Hey, John and Rob, I'm not going to lie. I would love to see Luke Skywalker show up on Tython. My money is betting on Ezra, if anyone. I also have a funny feeling that there's a good chance nobody shows up as well. Uh, it does make for a good conversation. Yeah, listen, I, I am completely with you, Richard. You know me. My all-time favorite character is Luke Skywalker. Uh, I would freak the hell out if Luke Skywalker showed up. But I don't know if it's, if it's what's best for the story. You know? I don't know if it's what's best for the story. Keep using Mandalorian to take us in new directions. And but again, if Luke shows up, I will defecate myself probably uh, in pure joy and happiness. But uh, it shouldn't. And, and again, if it if I had to put a dollar, if I had to put on dollar on guessing who would be, I would probably guess Ezra. But there's many possibilities. You know, we talked about all the possibilities the other day. Mace Windu, one of the Force Ghosts, Cal, uh, Luke is one. I mean, lots of possibilities. But uh, or very much strong possibilities also that nobody, nobody shows up. Wouldn't that be interesting? All right, guys. That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us involved here with the channel, thank you guys very much for that. Once again, guys, don't forget, go check out our documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, available worldwide on Vimeo and in the US and the UK, specifically on Amazon. You can go find it there. And don't forget, we'll be back again with another episode of the John Campia Show tomorrow. Guys, please make sure to do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves. For the love of God, please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.